Hello and welcome to the September 5th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Of course, I am Mr. Joe. Who else would I be? And, of course, it's awesome to have everybody here with me tonight, and I love the fact that I am back out there with you. So here we are, September 5th, like I said in my introduction, and we are exactly two days into my new job. And I'd like to briefly update you all on what has transpired. I figured it would uh, be a good time to do so, so there's not too much nonsense to talk about, too much information to bore you with. Just give you the rundown on, I guess, what it was like preparing for this new job more than anything. Not necessarily the specifics of what's gone on in the office place, although we will certainly um, transition into a conversation that I had with somebody in the office place uh, in my quote-unquote new office or new home. Now, believe it or not, Obviously, I started yesterday. Monday was a holiday. Happy belated Labor Day to all of you out there. And ironically, somehow, someway, Monday night, I was able to sleep relatively well. Now, I had anticipated that my night was going to be a nightmare, a complete, utter disaster of me being nervous, of me wondering what was going to happen during my first day at work. And then I started to think about how many times, especially with bipolar disorder, we have been put into new situations. And I don't know if that makes sense to you out there with bipolar disorder, but I find that at least with me, because I have destroyed so many relationships in the past, um, I find myself constantly trying to get back into the goodwill of other people or be accepted again for breaking down a door. Specifically, I remember the first time I went out with my buddies from work, I kicked down a door. I, I was so manic and so... I think at the time agitated about the fact that everybody was out drinking and having a good time and I was sober, although I believe that particular evening I might have even snorted Welbutrin like a complete moron, I kicked down a door and I found myself several days later having to go into that particular bar and apologizing to the owner and being faced with the cost of repairing that particular door, Um, and I I believe we made a deal that the next time I would go in, I would buy rounds of drink for all his regulars, which I don't think I ever did, because, uh, you know, when you're manic, you say a whole bunch of things that you think you're going to do, and promise the world to people, and, um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times don't follow through with it, so... A lot of relationships, a lot of situations in life, and in this particular instance, work. You know, I've ruined a lot of opportunities with work before, namely many of the families that I worked with, and not because the families didn't care for me and like me and I had issues with them, per se, with their children. That always went well. It was more or less the companies that I contracted with. I was at times not very reliable at certain periods of my life because I would go through specific episodes. And a lot of times I found myself having to start new opportunities because I had ruined something before that. And at the time that I ruined those opportunities, I always felt like I was right. I always felt like what I was doing was 
for good cause, for good reason. I, I deserved to hold that stance. And whoever I was combating or whatever I was defending myself about, I was the right one. They were always the wrong one. So what I actually said to myself on Monday night was, you've been down this road before. It's just a job. And either you're going to succeed or you're going to fail. And you're going to do it either way gracefully because now you are medicated and you have no real excuses. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say that the fact that I am medicated has played a very large part in my ability to transition smoothly into a new position. And, uh, you know, I'm grateful for that. Now, did I sleep... Did I sleep like a king? No, I didn't. I certainly didn't. I was up very, very early, and my mind began to race like it always does, and like many of us do, you know. If, if you're anything like me, and, and, I, and I like to label us as two different sides of the spectrum in terms of racing minds. There is, well, actually three. There is the mind racer that lays in bed, and cannot fall asleep and just sits and stares at the ceiling and stares at the clock and counts down the number of hours that they have left in order to function the next day and they just can't get to sleep no matter what they do they can't get to sleep at night because they're thinking and they're thinking then you have the person that has a relatively easy time going to sleep but unfortunately they wake up anywhere between 1.30, 2.30, 3.30, usually more commonly between 2 and 3 a.m. in the morning because they are so anxiety-ridden that they actually their body wakes them up because subconsciously you have so much anxiety and before you know it, you're up and you're out of bed and you're unable to get back to sleep. Now, for me, when I, would, when I was coming off Suboxone the first time, that was one of the worst things that would go on with me is that I'd actually be able to fall asleep and that sleep would last about an hour, an hour and a half and then I would wake up with full-blown anxiety and I would be up the remainder of the night. I slept for approximately one to three hours every night and that went on for many, many months and it was horrifying. I don't know how I made it through to be honest with you. but. Whether you're on Suboxone or coming off Suboxone, none of that matters. If you wake up in the middle of the night, odds are you're waking up because of anxiety. And if you're having a difficult time going back to bed, it's because your mind is racing. And then you have the morning mind racer. That's like me. It's almost like a little bit later than 3, you know, that normal, typical time, 5, 5.30 in the morning when in actuality... If you were capable of doing so, you'd actually be able to sleep until 6.30. You have a whole another hour and a half till you really got to get your butt out of bed, but yet your eyes are boom, bam, open at 5 o'clock in the morning. And no matter how hard you try, you're never going back to bed because you are going to sit and think about the day ahead of you and your mind will race as you predict all of the horrible things that will come your way in the way that you're going to try to deal with them. And what I've started to learn is that most of those predictions are not right. Many of the things that we perceive to happen throughout our miserable day actually never end up happening. And it's, it's crazy, but it's true. So here we are sitting and worrying and wondering and, you know, these things never even happen. So Monday, went to bed, slept relatively well throughout. By Tuesday, which was yesterday, I was up very early, unable to sleep until the time that I was able to sleep too. And, um, you know, did a lot of thinking, like anybody else would who's listening to this podcast. You're starting a new job, you're going to think. And thank goodness I, I decided... Um, at least until I get into the swing of things. I am not somebody who likes to rush around. I just can't do it. 
It, it just doesn't work for me. So now as I got more comfortable in my other places of employment, I would rush around. I would, you know, save things until the morning that should have been done the night before. And um, the only thing that would do was add to my stress and really trigger my bipolar symptoms even more so than they had to be triggered. Um, and I made a pact with myself that each and every night I'm going to lay out my clothes and iron them. It's business casual during the week. We do get to wear jeans, even sneakers on Friday, which is kind of cool. Um, but I will be um, preparing my clothing the night before. And it's funny, I just I just stalled because my wife has made my lunch the last two nights. And I just realized she didn't make my lunch for me tonight, and I actually nearly had a panic attack about it. It's so sad how we rely on our significant others for some things. She's so good to me, but she's also so devastatingly sick from her pregnancy. She is going through absolute hell with sickness, morning, noon, and night, throwing up, vomiting, the whole nine yards, nauseousness, headaches, uh, you know, a lot of stuff. And, of course, we have no medical insurance. Last night she's telling me, I can't see. Um, my vision is going. I'm going to faint. And I'm saying, dear God Almighty, I, this woman has to go into an ambulance. I'm going to be paying medical bills till I'm 180 years old. I mean, now I know that's the last thing that should be on my mind is money. But it's really scary when you're going to be without medical benefits in, for, for several months. So I was advised today from people at work that I need to go down to my local... Uh, social services office and obtain some government or state approved medical insurance for her because it's just astronomical for us to pay for it. Uh, it will definitely put us in a position where we will not be able to pay our bills. And quite honestly, even the medical insurance with the amount of money that you pay, they don't cover anything when you go through, um, you know, straight through as, as somebody who is either an independent contractor or somebody who simply just doesn't have medical insurance. So anyway, I'm going off topic here a little bit, um, but I am I am freaking out a little bit. I'm hoping my wife gets up nice and early, and not that I need her to do it for me, but at least assist me because I, I one thing I've started to realize, everybody, is my decision making skills are still relatively poor. They really are. And I don't even know if this is a bipolar thing. I just know that there are times, man, where just the the simple idea of picking out a place to eat stresses me out to the point where I'm huffing and puffing and I, I, I don't know where to go. I don't know what you want to eat. What do you want to eat? What do you want to eat? Back and forth. And uh, before you know it, I'm having a, a, a full-blown anxiety attack because I can't figure out what I want to eat. So, moving away from the lunch that has not been prepared, at least I did iron my clothing, and I, I feel like that has helped me in the morning because obviously it's eliminated one more thing that I have to do in the morning. Mickey is extremely demanding in the morning, so there is no way that you could just run around and get ready and not pay attention to him, so you have to save some time for that. And I also don't want to rush in the morning in terms of arriving at work late so I've been leaving very early and getting there about 15 minutes early um, and that's very important to me and do I think it's going to last I don't know I know I'll never be late but you best believe there are going to be times where I pull in two minutes before nine and I just make it on time but right now everything is is new and no doubt about it that I was nervous yesterday, just like anybody else would be. It's only natural. It was made a little bit easier because on Monday, on Labor Day, my boss had actually called me and we spoke for about an hour. And it's funny because he started the conversation by saying, your mind must be going a mile a minute, <laughs> thinking about what tomorrow's going to be like. He is one of the realest men that I have ever had a relationship with. He says it like it is, and he's usually right, and he just, he understands the human emotion and the human nature of, of all of us. So he, he, it was very comforting to know that he knew what I was feeling like. Because let me tell you something, 
I have been hired for an extremely important position, a very well-paying position, and I am overseeing seven different plants, which amounts to dozens and dozens of people that I will be supervising. Um, every aspect of this operation is necessarily under me, whether it be HR, whether it be IT, whether it be admissions, whatever it is, I have to get marketing, I have to get them all moving and stay on top of them because if they don't, it's a reflection on my performance and I will be the one to blame. So I have a lot of oversight, a lot of responsibility, and guess what? I'm up for the task. I'm up for the task. And I've accepted this, that as difficult as it may be, this is something new. This is something that is going to challenge my mind. I'm excited about that. I can tell you right now that if I was not medicated, I would probably be coming home every night drinking a case of beer. That's the God's honest truth. Smoking marijuana all night every night just to numb my emotions and numb my body. But instead, I got work on my mind in a good way. And I can't wait to wake up tomorrow and continue to move towards the goal. And, again, even though it's extremely challenging, it has kept my mind occupied. And I think that's very important, especially when you have bipolar disorder. And I have to tell you, you know, we've all been down this road before, or we've discussed in great detail the previous place of employment and how Mr. Joe did absolutely nothing wrong. And that's been conveyed and confirmed over and over again, up until even today. My old supervisor reached out to me. It was so nice to hear from her. I had nothing but good things to say. And I knew I would not be talking about my old place of employment. But the reason why I'm saying this is I have the full confidence in myself that I will succeed in this position. And there is no reason for me not to. The same way I was successful in my other position. And I have to tell you, I owe it all to my cocktail of medication. That's it. You know, of course, my own, my own uh, ability to cope with things has gotten to some extent better. At least it's a little bit better when, it, when you're medicated. Uh, so, you know, combine all that, and you know, I'm in a very happy place right now. Very happy place. But that's not to say <laughs> that it doesn't come without its challenges, and I'd like to transition right into that. I am sharing an office right now with a former, well, a current co-worker, but somebody who I used to work with back at the old company. She was terminated, as was I although mine was a quote-unquote resignation um, or a misunderstanding or, or a mutual parting of the ways. Let's call it that. Um, but this particular person was terminated, and she don't have a problem saying that either because in my mind, based on not even what she's told me now, based on back then, there was no reason for her to be terminated. It was complete, utter nonsense. She should still be there. She's just part of the ongoing crew of people that they've decided to let go. Good, good people. But that's neither here nor there. I share an office with her, so I have a great relationship with her. It's like, you know, being with an old friend, completely comfortable. The entire place has made me completely comfortable. They actually sent out a welcome message yesterday with my picture and two fun facts and me explaining the reason why I, I joined this particular company. So it was really cool. Now, we also have another woman in our, in our office. She's a bit older than Mr. Joe. I told you Mr. Joe is 43. So I'd like you to tack on another 30 years to that. And this woman is a, is a boatload of knowledge. She really is. She's sweet. She's kind. She's sensitive. She's easy to talk to. Sometimes talks a little bit too much, but that's cool. That's okay with me. 
makes it a little difficult to get work done sometimes, but you know what? It's not the worst thing in the world. But here is what I wanted to transition into. Here's what's so interesting. I don't know how it was brought up, but I would imagine because we were talking about children. Oh, here we go. I started explaining about Junior's condition of Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. We started talking about our children. And, you know, she was, oh, my goodness, how horrible. And I said, no, not really. I said, not really. I said, you know, the world I come from with the disabilities that I've dealt with and contended with, I said, you know, it almost makes you grateful for what you have. It really does. It, it, it shows you that things could be worse. And right now, you know what? My son is on medication. It's working. He's happy. He's feeling good, and that's all I could ask for right now. What more can I ask for? What do I got to do? Spend the rest of my days feeling bad for him and feeling bad for myself that he has been diagnosed with two autoimmune diseases? I can't. I can't. So I, I said that to her, and when I said that it could always be worse, her response to me was, well, you got that right. If you only knew my son. So let me tell you about her son, 32 years old. The first thing that came out of her mouth was her 32-year-old son has bipolar 2. First thing. So, of course, now here I am. Now I'm sweating to death because I'm saying, and I'll tell you, I won't even get into that yet. Hold on. Bipolar 2, ADHD, also diagnosed with, diagnosed with Tourette syndrome, which is basically tics and severe anxiety disorder and on top of that something else that we've actually never discussed before and if we have time at the end of this podcast I am going to actually talk about it with you it's called intermittent explosive disorder and that's a tough one that's a dangerous one that's that's basically behavioral like ongoing behavioral outbursts where an individual has absolutely no ability to control that aggressive impulse that they have. And it, it's, it could be in a whole bunch of different forms. And we'll get into that. I'll, I'll explain. Just think of it now. Intermittent explosive disorder is probably not a good thing. Think of violence. Think of rage. Think of impulsivity. Think of... Think of having a very difficult time separating mania from intermittent explosive disorder because they can replicate each other in many, many ways. So my heart went out to her, but the moral of the story is this. And we've discussed this before. We've discussed this in a previous episode with Mr. Joe and sharing our mental illness or oversharing our mental illness. And my goodness, if somebody has a reason as to why my mind wanted to do this, please call me. <laughs> Not call me. Write me. Write me. Reach out on Twitter. Please, because I'm lost. I'm lost because what Mr. Joe wanted to do was I wanted to pour my heart out to this woman. I have bipolar 1. I was previously diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder. I'm not really sure which one it is. I suffer more from the mania. These are all the things that are going on in my head. Well, your son takes Lamictal, so do I. He's on Clonopin, so am I. I mean, all these things that I wanted to share with her. And here I am saying to myself, you're at a new place, two days in, let's weigh the pros and the cons here. Well, the pros are that she clearly has mental illness in her family. So she's not about to judge me. No doubt about that. The cons, though, are right now I am being viewed as somebody who has come into a new place, is very well liked by everybody, especially from the owner. I'm, I'm in charge of several people, many, many people, in that particular office and more or less going to be seven different offices and I have a clean slate here if that makes any sense 
Nobody knows what Mr. Joe has. Nobody knows that Mr. Joe's bipolar podcast is out there. Nobody knows that Mr. Joe has bipolar, at least not at this place. Yet, I fought myself internally tooth and nail to not open up my big, fat, dumb, moronic, wackadoodle mouth to this woman. It was almost like I couldn't control the words as they wanted to literally pour out of my mouth. I wanted to tell her. I wanted to tell her I had bipolar disorder. I wanted to tell her what I've gone through, what I'm going through, the medicines I've been on, the horrible situations I've been in. I wanted to say it all. And, and listen, we've all done it. But I didn't do it. I did not do it. And my my goal, or at least my plan, not, I'm not going to call it a goal. My plan is, honestly, everybody, is not to tell anybody. And it's not because I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed. It has nothing to do with that. Many, many different, quote-unquote, individuals with disabilities of all kinds are actually working at this particular place. There are people with physical disabilities that have actually parts of their hand missing, people with glass eyes. And notice how I'm talking about a lot of physical stuff here. That's all well and good because you just see that. You see that and either you, you attend to it or you ignore it. If they want to talk about it, they talk about it. Glass eye. I found out that somebody cut themselves in the eye when they were very little with actually a piece of glass, which resulted in a prosthetic eye. You could talk about that openly, freely, and I could go, oh, that's horrible. But I just don't know how accepting people will be. And I believe in my heart that if I was to tell this particular woman, she would have kept it to herself. But guess what? I'm only two days in. I don't know her. I don't know what she's capable of. For all I know, I walk out to lunch and she'll have half the office knowing that I got bipolar disorder. So really, what is the point? I could see if I needed some kind of alterations to my schedule, some kind of perks in terms of addressing my disability or addressing my bipolar disorder, but I don't. Not right now, anyway. Which leads me to say to myself, well, when I say not right now, does that mean I should be telling at least my boss that I have bipolar disorder so if and when the day comes where I do have a nervous breakdown of some sort or I do end up into a hospital, I don't have to lie. I don't have to turn around and say, oh, I, was in a, I had a virus for six days. You know, that's what I had to do in the year 2012. Came up with some cockamamie story that I went in for a virus. And while I was in there, I was anxious and depressed and I had never felt that way before, but I was so confused about what I was going through that they gave me some kind of medication and that medication didn't do well with me. And basically, which was true, okay? Because I actually, back in the day, when I first came out of the hospital and I was on the wrong medications, which was Abilify and Lexapro, um, I had to go back to work like that. And I was having the worst possible reaction mentally and even physically that one could ever imagine based on those two medicines. And I had to walk back into a place and try to perform work duties under those circumstances. And I had to come up with a whole set of lies because I knew there was no way that I could not cover up the fact that this was a mental health problem. But yet I spoke about it in, in light of me being admitted into a hospital for a physical ailment rather than a mental health ailment, which is completely a lie and not true. But I was so worried about being judged back then that you know I, I, I spun off that lie and ultimately she found that anyway. Because when you screw up enough and you start stalking or hanging out with a girl while you're married in a particular daycare center, 
things can ultimately get out of control and go wrong, and then your true bipolar colors come out. And that certainly happened in that particular instance. But here we are, Mr. Medicated Bipolar Joe, and yet I had to fight myself to the death to not open my mouth and say something. Because I don't want people knowing. I don't want people judging me. I don't. I don't want to deal with it. I really don't. And it makes me feel sad in a way because it almost takes away from me being that self-proclaimed mental health advocate. But you know what? I can still announce my desire and my... my I, I, how do I put it? I can still announce the fact that I am a mental health advocate without saying that I'm a cuckoo bird is what it comes down to. And if they want to judge me based on the fact that I believe that people with mental health have just as many rights as somebody with a physical ailment, then you know what? I'm not really worried about that because odds are I'm going to have more people back me than you could ever imagine. But combine that with me proclaiming that I have bipolar disorder and I just don't know the outcome and I don't know the response. So as for now, I am not sharing any of my bipolar disorder with anybody at that company. It's not necessary. It doesn't have to be said, so I'm not saying it. Now, one of the other things that I just mentioned that this particular woman's son at the age of 32, who, by the way, is still not really talking expressively very well, which I just found to be utterly amazing, was that intermittent, intermittent explosive disorder. And that's a tough one, guys. That really is. That actually does fall into the mental health categories, so to speak. You could find it in the DSM-5, just like you could find bipolar and anxiety and depression and all of those things, schizophrenia, schizoaffective. You will find something on intermittent explosive disorder because it is a real thing. And this young man, 32 years old, will knock his mother right down to the floor. Now she tries to sit in chairs when she knows he's going to go off and he just, he'll knock over the chair. Because these behavioral outbursts, and I only know this because I had so many students that I worked with that were diagnosed with this intermittent explosive disorder, which, by the way, many, many times I would misinterpret in the beginning for having a manic episode. I would automatically go right to, up oh, they're in mania mode. Because those behavioral outbursts, which is a complete and utter failure to control those aggressive impulses, they're manifested by verbal aggression. And when I mean verbal aggression, I'm talking about temper tantrums and these immature tirades and, you know, arguments and fights with others or breaking down doors and kicking in windows and just physical aggression towards property and, believe it or not, even animals. Even animals, or in this particular woman, the 70-year-old woman's case, in particular with other individuals. She would get pushed down. She would get dragged around. And I do know there is a certain criteria for intermittent explosive disorder, and I believe that it has to... Um, happen on a weekly basis, I believe twice weekly, and it's got to go on for about three months from what I can recall. Do not quote me on this. If you're interested, simply look it up, but I do believe in order to obtain that diagnosis, you're going to have that, um, all of that verbal aggression happening on at least on a two-time-a-week basis for a period of at least 90 days, if I'm correct. Now, the physical, physical aggression does not necessarily result in damage or destruction of property and does not really result in physical injury uh, or to animals or other people. 
the verbal aggression will, and it will also um, include a little bit of verbal, uh, a little bit of physical aggression towards property, but the physical aggression usually does not have to be a direct result of causing damage or destruction of property and doesn't usually result in physical injury. It's usually just, um, you know, these behavioral outbursts. And any of the physical injury and the 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 uh, aggressiveness, if it is going to be towards animals, it's usually going to only happen within a 12-month period, I'd say. <sighs> Maybe three times. Three times would constitute for it. So you're going to see a lot more. I guess the point that I'm trying to make is you're going to see a lot more of the verbal aggression with, with some minor aggression towards some minor physical aggression in combination with the verbal aggression towards, you know, animals and property and other people. But for the most part, you're going to see that verbal aggression on a weekly basis, whereas the real kick and butt part, the real physical, and this is really what I'm trying to say, the real physical aggressive part, you're going to see three times a year maybe. Um, uh, now, that doesn't mean that it can't happen more. In this particular woman's case, she says it happens, the physical aggression happens on a monthly basis. And the interesting thing about intermittent explosive disorder is the magnitude of that aggressiveness is completely out of line with the circumstances, if that makes sense. It's like the silliest thing will get them crazy. And that's where I compare that almost to the mania, because that's exactly what I used to feel. Uh, you know, these things are not, they're definitely, these outbursts with intermittent explosive disorder are 100% not thought out. They're not premeditated. No way, no how. They do, you know, individuals with intermittent explosive disorder, they are not going to sit and conjure up a plan to go kick down a door. Okay? They are completely impulsive and really a direct result of their anger. As, as, as out of proportion as their anger may be to the situation... It's still a direct result of the anger. And it's not an attempt to get ahead of somebody or an attempt to uh, be better than somebody or an attempt to, you know, intimidate a person or, you know, to get money from a person. You know, I'm trying to give you some examples here. It's not that. It's just, it's just complete and utter impulsivity. And usually, a lot of times, people with intermittent explosive disorder, and I know, God, I know a little guy that used to have it. He was only seven years old. And even at that age, you would think that you could not be faced with legal consequences. But when you pull a knife on your whole family, including your baby sister and your mother, there are definitely kind of legal consequences if I could uh, you know if it's not legal it's going to be instant hospitalization at that age and you know if you're 32 years old and you run around pulling a knife on your family there are going to probably be financial or legal consequences and a lot of times that is the direct result of that explosive disorder and You know, I don't know. I don't know if you could... I know I would have a very, very difficult time um, trying to... If I was watching this occur, I know me personally, I'd probably have a difficult time trying to separate it from other mental illnesses like 
you know, bipolar disorder. There's something called disruptive mood dysregulation disorder. Um, you know, any kind of psychotic disorder, even even a personality disorder, like an anti-social personality disorder, borderline personality disorder. But believe it or not, the intermittent explosive disorder is completely separate from all these other things that I'm speaking about. It's just, for me, I could see a little bit of all of that in the intermittent explosive disorder. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's scary. It's scary. They, they come on rapidly. There is usually very little warning. I mean, they could go as long as 30 minutes. I know this little guy went for up to about 40 minutes a lot of times that I knew. And... It's, it could be really scary. It really can. It really can. And I would think that anxiety disorder and substance abuse disorders have to be somewhat associated to this. You know, while they're not directly related, they, they got to be part of it. I mean, really, when you think about a mental illness... And the things, even with bipolar disorder, what we deal with in life, they're all intertwined. Everything is intertwined. I mean, it's, 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 it's just the way that it is. Just because we're up and down doesn't mean that we don't have anxiety. We do. We usually have anxiety. How many of us have substance abuse problems? I mean, that is the way that I managed my entire life. If I was happy, I celebrated by doing drugs or drinking. If I was sad, I consoled myself by drinking or doing drugs. If I was unsure about a situation, I had a drink or did drugs to help me figure out the answer. If I didn't care about a situation, that really needed to be cared about. I smoked marijuana, I did drugs, I drank to help me further forget about the, the uh, situation. You know, and, and how many times was I explosive? How many times, how many times, here I am going through a manic episode and I am ripping sink handles off the sink, kicking in cabinets, ripping sinks out of the wall, breaking down doors, smashing my hands through glass doors, all of these things. You better believe that that looks like intermittent explosive disorder, <laughs> okay? Um, but, but the difference is, and here's the big difference, is with the mania, there were oftentimes things that led to those outbursts. While they were impulsive, they were not as impulsive as intermittent explosive disorder. In other words, there were things that used to, that used to build up in me. And I could maintain my control for quite some time. With intermittent explosive disorder, there's no maintaining it. We may act very similar, but there's no maintaining it. There's none whatsoever. Now, right now, I don't know if you hear my dog barking, but I am going into instant anxiety mode right now. I want to, and I love my animal. God, believe me, I love my animal so much. But right now, I'm thinking to myself that the entire house is sleeping, and I want to go downstairs and strangle her. I'm not going to do it, but I am certainly, and she's a dog. She's probably protecting the house right now probably hear something that has her bent out of shape and she wants to protect her family yet I'm up here ready to go downstairs and yell at her but here's the difference somebody like this somebody like me who again is now medicated can somewhat rationalize 
and 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 kind of cope with it and that doesn't mean that I'm not about to put you guys on pause and go down and yell at her because I am <laughs> in about two seconds if she doesn't stop but somebody would and this is a perfect example somebody with intermittent explosive disorder would not even think two seconds about it as a matter of fact the barking wouldn't even have to be the trigger it could be anything anything dis completely non-related to the dog barking and somebody with intermittent explosive disorder gets mad at something so ridiculous and goes downstairs and kicks the dog so if you haven't figured out by now you will put on pause and i went downstairs i'm sorry if the uh connection here the microphone is a little jumbled or making some sounds but of course when i get downstairs and i politely yelled at the dog <laughs> let's put it that way then the other dog comes running out of the bedroom and starts barking so now i'm thinking something's really going down but it wasn't they are just trying to get under mr joe's skin and um that's really just what it comes down to. I don't know if I explained intermittent explosive disorder as well as I could have. Um, I did my best to recall what it was. Um, if, you, if you're curious, look it up. I'm sure you can Google it. But really what it is, is it's just this, this, this behavioral outburst where people just cannot control that aggressive, impulsive act and it's 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 rough it's scary it's scary and as a matter of fact this 70 year old woman she said she now knows because she's been put down so many times that she may not know and when i say put down like knocked to the floor she may not know exactly when it's going to transpire because again there is so much impulsivity but if she has a sense of it, I guess after many, many years, you get a sense of it. Um, she puts herself down in a chair or locks herself in a room. Because for some reason, when she's sitting, her son won't hurt her. I never really got into it about that. But um, it's 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 it's... It's scary, it really is. Now, if I'm thinking back to what I was speaking about before, I believe when you're dealing with the verbal aggression and the physical aggression, I believe you could be diagnosed with intermittent explosive disorder if you engage in any one of those two a couple of times a week. And where I got a little tripped up now because now I'm trying to think you, you engage in either one of those two not in combination okay you could engage in just the verbal aggression a couple of times a week or you could engage in that physical aggression a couple of times a week and you could be diagnosed with intermittent explosive disorder I know it's got to go on for at least three months or forgetting about that whole concept you could have three intense behavioral outbursts that are just physical in nature, where you are breaking down doors, causing damage, destruction, uh, listen, maybe even physical assault that is like physical injury against somebody else, against animals, against people. And in a 12-month period, if you do that at least three times, you can also be diagnosed with intermittent explosive disorder so it is damn scary it really is hey listen man what is not scary when it comes to our mental illness what is not when we think back to some of the actions that we would engage in some of the things that we used to do i think back to some of my actions and i am floored just absolutely mind-boggling that a person can act the way that they do and think the way that they think in a certain situation and think that that's acceptable and that's not only with my mental illness that's with my substance abuse as well just can't believe some of the actions i would take but 
here's the good thing. Mr. Joe is medicated now, and I'm, I'm doing pretty well. And there is no doubt in my mind that if you are not doing as well as Mr. Joe right now, you are certainly capable of getting there and achieving that. Because when I tell you <laughs> that Mr. Joe was the lowest of the low, the worst of the worst, doing everything that every one of you have done, you know, we use that common phrase when we are parents with our children. And by no means am I referring to my audience as children. So please don't take this the wrong way. But that common phrase is, anything that you have done, I've done already. Or anything that you think you're going to do, I've done already. And I never understood that when my father would say that to me. And I certainly understand it now, watching my soon-to-be 15-year-old and daughter and my 13-year-old son there is nothing that they can get past me. They think they're going to get high and walk up the stairs past me. I am going to know that they are high. They're going to go get drunk. I'm going to know that they're drunk. They're going to fool around with boys and girls. I'm going to know when they're fooling around. I know. I know it sounds crazy, but I'm going to know. So in a way, what I'm trying to say is anything that you guys have done or are thinking about doing, from a mental illness slash substance abuse kind of stance, believe me when I tell you that Mr. Joe has done it too. And here you have Mr. Joe who has created a podcast to help an audience who is just like me and help them to understand that with the proper tools, the proper medication, the proper support system, and the proper desire to want to help yourself and get better, anything and everything is possible. If you are living with a mental illness right now and you are doing well, I ask you to continue to work hard. If you know, you love, care about somebody with a mental illness, I ask you to continue to support that person in the very best way that you know how. And if you are struggling right now with a mental illness, or even an addiction for that matter, I ask you that you continue to fight and battle, and most importantly, soldier on. Thank you everybody for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Have a great night.